everyone, and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Now today, obviously, I'm not interviewing a guest composer. Instead, I'm going to be covering some of the best, most notable, and most high-profile scores that released between July and September. Now, between the period that this episode covers and when it's actually been released, there have been quite a few good scores that have come out as well. Some uh, big October scores I'd recommend, obviously No Time to Die by Hans Zimmer, Mayday by Colin Stetson, Titan by Jim Williams, who I'm a big fan of, and the new Venom movie by Marco Beltrami. I'm sure there have been a few others that, frankly, I haven't had a chance to discover yet, but safe to say October's off to a good start. Now, speaking of Hans Zimmer, the first ones I'll cover are going to be Dune, both his score for Dune, and the earlier released Dune sketchbook. It's been quite interesting. This is a recent phenomenon for Zimmer releasing these full sketchbooks. He did the same for Dark Phoenix, as well as for Wonder Woman 1984. And I think he's done it a few times before that as well. I know that there's a sketchbook track that's maybe 20 or 30 minutes on Man of Steel, I think, and probably a few other films as well. Now, the premise of this sketchbook is basically a broader, looser view into what's going on behind the scenes, some of the not fully realized ideas or the earlier concepts floating around before the score is reaching its final point. But often we get these after the score has been released. So it's quite interesting that this actually came out maybe two or three weeks before the proper score release. And I say that's interesting because I think it was a bit problematic. The sketchbook is, I think, an hour and a half, hour 40 minutes, and it gives all sorts of ideas, various instruments, palettes, things like that. And so when the score was finally coming out, you start to think, oh, what is it going to have? What will have been realized? Which direction will he have gone? Because there's so much floating around. And I think it built up expectations a little too much, in addition to the already high expectations for the film and for his score which Zimmer didn't help because, let me tell you, he hyped it up like crazy. And now that's not to say it's a bad score. I think it's quite good, although it's very clear from some reactions that I think people were let down from it, at least from the score release itself. I haven't seen the film, but I've heard it works really well to picture. But it's a bit surprising because of how much it follows the more emotional core and the, the sort of wandering, atmospheric feeling. You get a sense of spectacle and this grand scope, but related in a sense that's a bit different from what he's done in recent years with that similar style. Now, the sketchbook is kind of a different beast. As I've said, it's it's sort of a, a meandering, wandering experience that a lot of people were kind of frustrated with because of the length and the lack of focus, but that's sort of the point. There isn't necessarily a focus. It's, it's loosely curated, and so they can get away with the length and with the lack of cohesion continuity. But I always find it so interesting seeing behind the scenes a little bit, and the sheer amount of ideas. That said, on my first listen, I thought, wow, I must be near the end, and I think I was halfway through the second track. It's long. It's a lot to get through, but it's quite interesting. Frankly, it's not going to be to everyone's taste, probably not to most people's, but I do recommend checking it out, skipping through a few tracks at the very least. Another big-name composer that had two releases during this period is Ryuichi Sakamoto. I've always found Sakamoto interesting because 
he has a massive online presence and he's done some absolutely brilliant scores, and yet he seems to fly under the radar sometimes. Now his two scores are Minimata and Beckett, and they're both quite different. For Minimata, it's a bit more delicate, more intimate. It's about this photojournalist trying to uncover environmental and health issues in Japan and kind of the fallout that he faces. It's a very personal story with a very gripping score that has a sense of innocence, lost innocence of beauty and crushed beauty. Beckett, on the other hand, was a big surprise. Now that's a Netflix film that really just came and went. Besides the score, I don't think I heard anything about it. And frankly, seeing the trailer, I expected something quite straightforward action thriller. And now, maybe that's my mistake, because I don't know when Sakamoto's done something that's particularly straightforward. But I was not prepared to hear something that's almost like a formless noise. It's such a strange, unexpected take on what seems to be a much more straightforward action thriller film. And now I have no idea how well it works to picture, but as a standalone release, it's something that a lot of people probably won't enjoy because of that lack of form and the more experimental nature of it, but I love it, and I have to applaud him for taking such an interesting approach. And I also find it quite funny that the single release, the track called End, was a bit more traditional, a bit more orchestral, and I think that played into my expectation. And I'd have to listen to the score again to be sure. I think that's the only more traditional track. So it's a very odd choice for the single, and it's a choice that is utterly subversive, which I kind of love. One of the scores that I loved, and it's really heartening to see so many other people love, is Daniel Hart's score for Green Knight. Now, it typically seems like Hart appears out of nowhere every one or two or three years, gives us an excellent score, and then disappears again. Now, obviously, that's not quite true, because I think he released another score in the same month, in July, or is it Only Letters for Your Lover, which was also just a really lovely score, a bit unexpectedly traditional, uh, very romantic, but still excellent, and it's not really the composer choice I expected for that film. Green Knight, however, is anything but. Hart does his best interpretation of traditional medieval music, and frankly, probably one of the best in recent years or maybe ever. It does remind me a little bit of Thomas Clay's Fatal I Delivered, although that's obviously not a medieval film, it's 17th century England, which is the Stuart period, early Stuart period, a century or two after the medieval period ended. But the similarity is in how authentic, or to my uneducated ears, seemingly authentic, the interpretation of the period is. And so it creates this really immersive medieval atmosphere. But remember, this isn't a historical epic. This is a surreal, bizarre medieval fantasy. And so what he does is then introduce electronic elements, a lot of warped aspects, the almost whale-like calling representing the song of these giants. And it's a combination that you'd imagine would never, ever work. Electronics and medieval music, come on. But it does. 
And it's just so utterly brilliant. I think it will... Honestly, I don't even think. I'm quite certain it's going to end up on and probably near the top of a lot of year-end score lists, especially from a lot of non-film music-facing publications. This is the type of score that they love. And it's the type of score that I love, too. But maybe the thing that surprised me the most was hearing what I assumed were interpretations of like traditional medieval folk songs. And I don't think they are. I think they're Hart's own creations that obviously are, in some senses, homages to folk songs. I And I can't remember which track it is. One I know is kind of him doing his own idea of Greensleeves. So they have these inspirations, and they're also inspired by medieval poetry, but they sound so real, and it truly floored me, especially the first time I heard this score. Another score that's sure to end up on some year-end lists, although probably not from your more traditional film music critics and sites, is Mika Levy's Zola. I think this is Levy's most extreme take on film music. And it kind of seems like a deconstruction of the style. And obviously I use style very loosely because there isn't really a style to film music. A lot of people latched onto this idea that it was a fairy tale score. And I think that comes from their use of harps. That it gives this almost romantic, happily ever after feeling. At least it would if they weren't treated in such a strange way. To me, it feels like it's telling the audience this is a bizarre fairy tale. It's one that is going to be much darker, much more adult, and probably won't have very many happy endings. And it does this through an underlying menace throughout, even in the harp moments. It'd be tough to say that this is something optimistic. But I think the most interesting aspect is how much it relies on noise and noises. Now, this isn't the typical wall of noise, but literally fragments of noise here and there that almost aren't even woven into something coherent. You get just random electronic sounds, bits of instrument, bangs, random percussion, and it all feels very lo-fi. And it's super interesting, but it's also the type of music that will not be well received by those who like more traditional film music, particularly orchestral theme-driven. So it's an interesting experimentation. It's something that I enjoy, but certainly is not going to be for most people. The one score that really caught me off guard was Pig by Philip Klein and Alexis Gropsis. You might know Philip Klein from his score earlier this year. It was, I believe, The Wish Dragon. So seeing his name, I expected, again, something much more traditionally orchestral and theme-driven. But Pig isn't that at all. It's an often almost dreary, bleak Americana folk score. It's quite short. And this is not what I expected at all from the film. I mean, prior to watching it, I kind of assumed it was almost a John Wick knockoff, except that it's Nicolas Cage seeking revenge for the theft of his truffle pig. I did not expect such an introspective take on lost grief. And that's really what the score gives. It's something that you can quite easily get lost into, and that also is giving its own interpretation on melancholy. And it works brilliantly. And I don't know if I would say this is my favorite score from the period, 
but it's probably the score that I've listened to most, and that is CryptoZoo by John Carroll Kirby. This is, again, a film and score that really came and went without a lot of fanfare. Remember, people talking about CryptoZoo very briefly in just how utterly bizarre the film itself is, and its animated visuals. But the score is like that, too. It is such an utterly strange piece of music. It's, in some ways, you can say, influenced or inspired by some 70s electronics and psychedelia. But I think that's a very minor influence, and I always think maybe I'm looking a little too far in, in drawing that connection. The connection that is there, though, is to that psychedelic aspect, because the whole score is just so wonderfully bizarre and absurd, and not quite over the top, but abundantly creative. And I don't even know what comparisons to draw to it, but I think that's what is so endearing and intriguing about it. It's just this strange piece of music that almost exists in its own world. Two more traditional scores that I certainly don't want to miss are Jungle Cruise by James Newton Howard and Shang-Chi in The Legend of the Ten Rings by Joel P. West. West's score is probably one of the most interesting Marvel scores that I've heard. Now, I haven't seen the film, so I'm not really sure how well it works. I mean, Marvel films all tend to have very functional scores as well, but I feel like it has much more identity and it stands out from the rest of these Marvel scores. One of the aspects that stands out the most is how it has this Hong Kong cinematic feeling. And in one sense, it's a bit obvious, but it's something that sets it apart from almost all, or maybe all of the other Marvel scores, because it immediately has this different identity, whereas most of those just sound a bit more traditional, but without anything else that kind of sets them apart either. But fortunately, it doesn't lean too much into the Hong Kong Chinese musical sphere either. It's a very delicate line for American and Western films, where there's a tendency to really appropriate music without foresight or the delicacy that's required. But West manages that balance, and my understanding is something that Shang-Chi does quite well in general, that it doesn't feel like an appropriation or a taking, that it's handled with care and thought. Newton Howard's score for Jungle Cruise is another really, really good one. His work with Disney has really just been excellent. It brings out some of the best in him, which is saying something because he has so many great scores in general. And it's just a really fun adventure score. Some of the themes aren't necessarily the most notable or memorable, but it's a lot of fun. And even though I think it's about 65, 70 minutes, it doesn't feel like it. It runs really quick, and it has a lot of really interesting or surprising inspirations. You can hear Williams' aspects, or I mean, even Morricone's spaghetti western aspects that seep their way in. I think the part that people will talk about the most is the fact that there are two covers of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. Or maybe renditions would be better because Metallica was actually involved in both of them. I don't think it makes any sense at all, at least not in the score. I've also heard that it doesn't make sense in the film, but <laughs> it's just a lot of fun to hear. And as a lifelong Metallica fan myself, it's probably the best thing, or at least one of the best things Metallica's done in maybe 20 years or so, which always a benefit. Now, I'm going to be honest. I could probably talk for another couple hours about the great scores released in these three months. 
especially July and September. They were just packed with excellent, excellent scores. But frankly, my throat and mouth are a little dry, and I don't think you want to hear me rattle on for that long. I'll finish up with two other scores that I quite liked. One was Candyman by Robert A. Key Aubrey Lowe. And I think what I was wondering first was how similar it would be to Philip Glass's original Candyman score. Certainly one of my favorite horror scores, and probably one of my favorite Glass scores as well. It obviously has really memorable themes, and I wondered whether the score would try to do something different, or whether it would rely on those two. And it's actually more the former. Now you do hear some renditions of Glass's original music box theme, I think it is, that is warped and twisted a bit and made it feel a bit uglier and tarnished. The beauty of that score still comes through, but it's like it's shining through a dirty window. But it's much noisier. It's like a constant rumbling groan, a detached voice echoing through hallways, chasing you indefinitely. I know that that's the exact type of score that some people don't like. It is very tonal and textured and droning, but it's done extremely well. I actually think that Lowe had previously worked with Johan Johansson and Hilder Guthner-Daughter on some other scores. Because of that, not surprisingly, Guthner-Daughter actually comes on and plays some cello in the score, really building onto that droning aspect. Now, the whole cello drone subgenre of film music is one that I really love. It's incredibly fascinating, and it's an increasingly interesting instrument and way to use it, at least to me. So I welcome more and more of these. Frankly, there's maybe only a couple of them that come out a year, so it hasn't worn out its welcome yet, at least for me. The last one that I'll cover is Ma Belle, My Beauty by Mahmoud Chowki. I didn't know this, but Chowki is actually a quite well-known guitarist. And so it's no surprise that guitar becomes a very heavily used instrument in the score. And the way that Chuck uses it is just full of color and this lush, vibrant energy. It's really fun and romantic, both in its slower moments and in its faster moments. Unfortunately, it's only half an hour or so. The reliance on primarily the acoustic guitar never grows old. And cleverly, he uses a lot of supplemental instruments as well, sometimes actually going to the forefront, that keep things really fresh. I'll say this quite often, but I think that the classical guitar is an instrument that's used not nearly enough in film music. There's a good amount of variety to it, but it also is able to channel an energy and a beauty and this intimacy in a way that other instruments can't. That's the beauty of instruments, broadly, is each one has its own things that it can accomplish. And Chalky really shows not the limits, but some of the great lengths that the guitar can reach. So I hope to hear more from him and more from the instrument in general in film music. Now, as I said, I'm trying to be relatively inclusive, but there's just a lot of scores. There's a lot of great ones. I've fallen a little behind in that I don't think I have write-ups for any of these three months out yet. If you keep your eyes open, they will be coming over the next several weeks, if I'm being optimistic, and those will cover some of the same scores, but will also cover different ones as well, to give a broader, more encompassing look into the releases for these last three months. But now that we're in October, I am really looking forward to 
what's hopefully a good slate of horror scores to come out and some non-horror scores to strike that balance. Keep your ears open, and in another three months, I'll be talking about some of those. In the meantime, there's, as always, going to be plenty more interviews coming out, and be sure to follow along, subscribe, leave a rating, all that stuff, and check the website as well for regular reviews, including more and more guest reviews as well. I'm trying to open up to additional contributors because, frankly, film music needs all the voices it can get talking about the many great releases. Now, I hope you've enjoyed this, and keep listening.